This is the Intern Podcast. There is no easy way home. That's that's the most important thing that I would love for the next generation of artists and executives, honestly, to, to, to grab hold on. There's nothing good without struggle. It just doesn't happen. This will not be your average internship. Enjoy. 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 Hi guys, welcome to another episode of The Intern Podcast, and today I have an extremely special guest for you, and her name is Miss Tiffany Bender. That's right. <laughs> so, for me, I've I've seen Tiffany just like on Instagram, and I've seen you with Alizé, and I've heard Say talk about you, I don't know if you know, but she calls you the president, and um, Alizé Allie the, the mayor. mayor. Yes, Say is <laughs> so insane. But she is, like, one of my favorite people in the world. So when I actually, like, was like, who is this president that she talks about? <laughs> and I looked you up, and I went on your Instagram. I was like, okay, first of all, she's bomb. Oh, like, my God. Her thank style you. is hella bomb. Thank and you. And then I, like, read about you, and I was like, oh, my God, like, she's a hustler. Yeah. Like, she's I'm, like, a professional intern at life. <laughs> See? And that's why I called her an intern, because I felt like I was a professional yeah, intern. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, I'm having Tiffany here just to shed a little light on Teen Vogue and her journey in the production and television, you know, world. I think it's a great example of how to start, where to start, how you start, and how to maneuver through. Because as we're going to talk about, you've kind of touched on a lot of different things. And it's so important to know that, hey, there's not one way it's like being a it's actually not like being a doctor there's no one there's no one path so let's get started with your interning experience sure oh man um so i literally met sway calloway um who was the host of sway in the morning Mm -hmm. on sirius xm but real tbt he was like the king of mtv Mm -hmm. and like you know he was like one of the first black uh, cultural commentators that I think we had in I our generation. About that, yeah, that is so true. Yeah, um, and so he lived in the same building as my brother at the time, and I met him in the elevator, and I literally gave him an elevator pitch in the elevator, and was like, "I want to work for you. I want to do exactly what you're doing. How do I get there?" And he was the one that actually kind of inspired me to go to grad school, um, because at the time I was kind of in this in between space, and mm. he was like, "You know, get all that together and then come back and see me." Fast forward, I graduate with my master's from Newhouse in Syracuse and I take him up on his offer and I'm like what's up so you followed up with him or was this of course absolutely absolutely um and so I landed that internship at the same time I had got offered um an internship at Wendy Williams Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to pick just one of course not and you you know (laughs) and I'm very lucky that I have such a supportive family and and unit so I was able to really balanced both internships and I had a full-time job working at Aldo Shoes. It was a very humbling experience. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that I came out of school, well, first of all, I got my master's and I was just turning 21 the year I got my master's and so I'm like, oh, by the time I'm 25, I'm gonna have a million. Like, I don't know (laughs) what y'all been out here doing, but I'm getting to the money, you know? Like, and it was like, no girl, you're gonna work at Aldo because you need to get a Metro card (laughs) to get back and forth to these internships that you want, you know? And so it really, really was a humbling experience. Um, But I really, at the time, I I absolutely hated it. Like, loved working on both shows, was really like busting my butt to try to land jobs at either place. Mm -hmm. Um, But Aldo was my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I would come home crying. Because, I like, first of all, I'm really? in heels eight hours. Girl, let me tell you, I would start at Sway in the morning at 6 a.m. I would be there until 12. I would go and work at Wendy Williams from 1 to 5. And then I would go at Aldo from 1 to 5, 6 to close. So I was thinking you're doing Sway in the morning, oh, Monday, no. Tuesday, Wendy. Almost every day. That was my schedule. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so... It was, like I said, it was so humbling because I, again, thought I was going to come out of school and everybody was going to just have to have me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not... You were a hot commodity. You know, no and, and that's not what it was, you know? So I started to figure out, first of all, I want to read everything that all the people I say I want to be like. I need to be reading what they're reading. I need to be in the spaces that they are. Um, and how do I give myself a competitive edge from there? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, none of... Neither internship blossomed into a job, but even better, those people are still people that I consider my mentors. So mm-hmm. this Sway in the Morning crew, still Tracy G is like my sister. Um, Sway, you know, is so supportive of, ev- anytime I see him out, like he's, you know, mm-hmm. showing so much love. Um, and even the staff at Wendy, for the most part, the people that were there, cause this is 
2012. So anybody that was still there still remembers me and like will always shout me out and tell me, you know, they're proud of me or what have you. So sure, I didn't get the job there, but more important, I like built like my first like entertainment community. Um, you mentioned that it's funny because I have all these questions listed in order, and I'm just like, "Well, I'll do it." But go. that's interviewing, we're you know? Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. You mentioned that you know you were able to build great mentorships. Mm-hmm. How important do you say mentoring and having a mentor is mm-hmm. in this industry, whether it's television or music mm-hmm. or you know journalism? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think having a mentor is so important, but it's at the stage I, I'm at in my career now. I, I will never not need a mentor, right? Because that's just somebody that holds you accountable for the mm-hmm. sh- that you say you want to do. But Cause my mentor does. She's the reason why I went and got my master's. Actually, yeah, you know, like we we try to push the people that we mentor to be better, which is leading me to the fact that now I'm noticing that people don't know how to be mentees, and you don't even know how to ask for a mentor. So I have people that reach out to me. It's like I want you to mentor me. It's like you don't even know me. And I don't know you. And so how do you know you want me to essentially guide your professional career? You know? Um, and I think that that's becoming more of a plague than anything in, like, this this ecosystem mm-hmm. of mentoring. The way, at least in my experience, fruitful mentor-mentee relationships happen, somebody sees you and they see something in you and they want to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you reach out to them and you develop a relationship and it, it just becomes this mentee mentor thing but it's not wise to just outright ask somebody yo i want you to be my mentor like had i met sway in the elevator and was like i want you to be my mentor he'd have been like what hi i'm what's your name you know so i think that there's a huge gap that this incoming flux of students coming out of school miss even if you're not coming to school you just get entering the, the industry you miss the point that a mentor and mentee have a relationship that got cultivated first mm-hmm. before they put that title on it like a relationship you know what i mean like y'all start talking first we text and you know a few netflix oh, and ch- i think i like I, you know what we could go stay you know <laughs> that's that's what the relationship is because again you're trusting somebody with your entire career um but it is so important because especially as women of color, you know, we are disproportionately paid less. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for me right now to like be able to ask my mentor, like, yo, they offer me this. Does this sound right? Because a lot of times we're just so grateful to be in the room mm-hmm. that you're not asking the important questions that are going to help you grow. And so you, you need strategic mentors that are going to guide you in very, very specific ways. So I have mentors who are directly in line with what I do. Mm-hmm. And so I can go to them and say, yo, is this, does this rate make sense? Should I take this offer? And then I have life mentors who just are living, a, maybe they do work in entertainment, but not the same way. Maybe they're a doctor or a professor. So, but they live a lifestyle, mm-hmm. like a self-care lifestyle that I also admire. And so you have to have different mentors for different things, but it's about how you cultivate, cultivate excuse me, that relationship. It's funny you said um, the life mentor, because for me, I was like, Help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, now I'm just hearing, now actually I'm hearing more people mention more of life mentors and actual career mentors because, you know, there is there are different ways to follow people mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. try to m- m- mimic or remake their career right. in a way, kind right. of. But it's funny that you, you talked about, you know, this generation um, being kind of approaching things the wrong way. I, I, I read an interview where you mentioned that a lot of young kids come out of college and they don't want to do the dirty jobs, no. you know? They don't want to get the coffee. They don't want to be the assistant to the assistant and to the I, assistant. I don't understand why someone thinks that because you have X amount of followers on Instagram, that translates, in, unless you're trying to be an influencer, that that translates in any way to the shit that you're supposed to be doing <laughs> in the four, four walls of your office. Has somebody mentioned how much followers they have on Instagram in an interview? I, I have mentees who I had to, like, check, like, they, they didn't want to take certain jobs or they didn't want to work in retail because they felt like, what well, if somebody sees me? Okay, but what if you're homeless? Mm. Because you not get into the money because your followers is the wildest thing I've ever heard. And I hate to say like, quote unquote, younger generation because I'm not that much removed. Mm-hmm. But I came out of school in a very unique time where it was like, Instagram was totally a thing. Twitter was, you know, popping and all that kind of stuff. It was like right on the cusp of Snapchat and all that. Mm-hmm. But like, the term influencer wasn't a career yet. It wasn't. Like, it's you short. had the YouTubers that were beginning to make full-on careers of their content, but Instagram influencers weren't a thing yet. And so I, f- I, I do feel bad because it's like, it can get you a job. You can That can be your job, being an influencer. Or you can connect with people that you 
maybe wouldn't have been able to. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the day to day, the the things that you need to do to be successful, it don't got nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Now I want to slow down. Okay. I feel like we got. Should we put to on some smooth jazz? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like we got so much to the meat, and we yeah. forgot the mashed potatoes. So let's, let's get it. Let's, let's let's rewind a little bit. I want to talk about what actually ignited your passion for production mm-hmm. and television. How did that actually come to part? So funny enough, my family always called me Hollywood. <laughs> like since I was a kid. Are you? You're from Harlem. Are I'm you from Caribbean? My dad's Jamaican, yes. Okay, that makes sense. Because I'm, I'm the bougie money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, even funnier, and I don't know that your listeners will even know this um, this reference, but there was a, you know, in Living Color. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was a, uh, one of the sketches, it was like, her name was Little Magic, and like her mother was like, dance, Little Magic. <laughs> and they used to call me Little Magic first. And like, Literally any party, you could pay me ten dollars. I'm bogoing to the floor. Like I'm, you did not bring up what the bogo for ten dollars. For ten dollars, <laughs> I'm winning. I'm winning all the dance contests. You know, musical chairs. That's thank that's you. you. That's me. Whatever's in this gift bag, I'll take it. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, but like I was always like so, like a, I I was a performer, and then as I got through like middle school and high school, I got really into debate and and politics, and I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went into Syracuse undergrad um, pre-law, and I studied that for like a year. And I was like, oh, this is lame. <laughs> I, don't I, like I don't like this. I also cry when I lose, and so that doesn't make for a successful lawyer. Aww. And so, yeah. Um, I can imagine like walking out the courthouse. Like, I'm so sorry you're doing life. I didn't win. I tried. <laughs> oh, mom, hello, you know. <laughs> so um, towards my, I would say junior year, I started to like host a lot of events on campus and all that kind of stuff. Even still, I was like, this is fun, but like I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do. You didn't know it was a thing. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. Even the job I have now, if you would have told me two years ago, I wouldn't believe that it existed. And so I'm sure we'll get to this path some way, but like I think that the industry is very much designing itself as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I meet Sway, I go to grad school for TV and film. Actually, I went to grad school for broadcast because I thought that that was a direct line to being an entertainment um, reporter. Mm-hmm. And it was more of the same with law. Like it was just, it, the conversations weren't exciting or inspirational to me at all. News is very depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a moment I had to look at myself and say, you're paying $60,000 plus for something you're not enjoying. So what are we gonna do? And so midway through this very intense one year program, I go to the dean, I'm like, yo, I need to change majors. And she this was, was junior year. This was no, this was grad school. Oh, I didn't oh. decide that I was wanting to get into entertainment until I got to grad school. And um, it's a very intense 18 month program at Newhouse. And you go, you start and you finish in the same program. Mm-hmm. And I go to the dean, I'm like, y'all, I need to switch gears. And so now this is midway through a semester. And essentially, what you learn in four years is condensed into this 18 month program. Mm-hmm. So these kids are now two years into information, and I want to go over there with them. <laughs> I, I like I that. Wanna, I like what they're doing over there, you that know? <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, I, I kind of redesigned my own course with the support of my like advisor and the dean. And I finished on time with now this new cohort of kids that was doing uh, television, radio, and film. And so I get out of school and I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't even know what that really means. You know, (laughs) like, oh, okay. Um, But I remembered I had this connection with Sway. I reached out to him. And then I'm getting, at the time I was doing talent relations. So like I would basically production assistant work, getting the coffee, whoever's coming in. Um, And then at Wendy, I got to experience being an actual production assistant on like a studio floor. And so I was able to pull from like the booking and all that kind of stuff that we were doing at Sway and then mm. the production assistant work that we were doing at Wendy. So using which, all your past experiences. Exactly. exactly. And then I wound up landing my first job at a Maury Povich spinoff show called Trisha. Yeah. Have I heard that? You probably had it was like a black lady. She was British. Yeah, I'm like, wait, that yeah, name, that was like, my first job. I don't think I've ever job. watched it, but I think good I've for heard you. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. I think I've heard it before. Girl, it's one of those like, uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the show had great syndication. It came on in 90 percent of the country, and you know, oh, wow. it was great. And as wild as it was, that was one of my best jobs, and really set me up for the type of producer I am today. And it goes back to like just. Students coming out now not wanting to do dirty work, I had to paint teeth. 
I had to babysit people's kids. Wait, I had wait, to track down baby daddies. Uh huh. You said paint teeth. Mm-hmm. What? Like, real teeth or like were you trying no, to? No, no, in your mouth while they're still in your mouth. Oh. Painting them so, you know, this is still television. And yeah, you know, you a Debbie baby daddy that's coming on to figure out whether or not this kid oh, is wait, yours. so you wasn't even painting Trisha's teeth. You was painting oh, the baby no, daddy's baby, teeth. Oh, no, baby, no. Yeah, okay. Okay. With your snotty nose baby on my oh. hip, painting your teeth, going to the next room, making sure the baby mama is nice and angry so when she get on set, like, it was... So Why? you gonna, so you gonna, you gonna tell him, right? That's exactly what my job was. <laughs> that was exactly what my job was. Um, but again, it prepared me for the roll up the sleeves mentality that you have to have. You know, but even as a senior producer, gotta get it done. Gotta get it done. You know, um, yeah. It was. I learned also like the show must go on. Mm-hmm. I remember there would be times. Of course, if you were Debbie Baby Daddy in Wisconsin you're not going to fly to New York City and be a better dad. And so, you know, <laughs> they would change their minds before they got on the plane. I would have to set alarms from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. and call them every half an hour until they got on the plane, okay? One time a guy went missing, and I had to deliver a pizza to his house because you get real savvy when you know that your show and your job ultimately is on the line. I had a pizza delivered to his house, and I, I'll never forget, I tell the pizza man, I will give you a $50 tip if when he answers the door to take the pizza, you give him your phone. And the guy was like, for real? And I was like, I swear to God, I, like, cause I was like paying for it over the phone. I said, I swear to God, like, you know. Girl, he gives the guy the phone and the, the guest who had been dodging me for like a week, he just bust out laughing like, Tiffany, what is, you're crazy. What is wrong with you? And I was like, you coming on the show, right? You know? But again, like you, that's like, those are battlegrounds for production because now there's nothing that could happen at the lovely Condé Nast that like, I won't be able to execute or get done if I was able to find a baby daddy and make him come on a show, you know? So yeah, that was my first job. So with all of this, I'm still thinking about you switching from law, correct? Mm -hmm. To go to pretty much in a Jamaican's head nonsense. Yep, absolutely. How did you, because I have Caribbean parents, Mm -hmm. both of my parents are from Kingston, born and grown. So for me, it's just like, I was like, hey, yeah. Yay. I know you want me to be a doctor, but I would be a lawyer, engineer. But I like this music this crazy thing. thing, right? So I'm gonna go do that instead. All right, yeah. cool. How were you able to tell them that? And you already know in your heart they're yeah. not gonna be happy. How did you be like, you know? But at least for me, I yeah. felt like they weren't gonna be yeah. happy. How were you able to be like, you know what? This is what I want. How are you? Right. I think that above all, my parents trust me. Mm. Like I've always been in overachiever you know I did all the activities in school like my parents like I would have to ask my mom to look at my homework like do you want to see it and she's like no I know you did it I know it's right like what (laughs) you know um and so I think that they just trusted that like I would figure it out Mm -hmm. I have a a grand aunt though who's 92 years old she lives in Paris and she still has no idea that I'm not a lawyer and I I can't like I, I refuse to tell her I'm like, y'all not going to make me kill Auntie by telling her this awful news, you know. Um, and so I can't say that all of my family is as receptive. Now, of course, people have come around because they I'm, see you on the Internet. You know, TV, I'm, I'm, doing like, oh I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. But um, but yeah, I definitely have a grand aunt who I've not told yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I ain't no good. I but know. But it's just like I'm I can think of hell. my whole auntie thinking, oh, my baby's a lawyer. You're like, all right. I'm not you and keep I, thinking Paris that. is my favorite place in the world. I try to visit as often as I can. And when she introduces me to her friends, she's like, yeah, she's a lawyer. And I'm like, I won't confirm or deny <laughs> this <laughs> information. Just not. It's just not a smile. Right. So in the entertainment industry, fashion industry, it's very... What's hot now? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be abreast on social media, but you also have to be a little bit more knowledgeable on what's going on outside the industry right. as well. How do you manage to keep, you know, your head in the in the blogs, in the tabloids, right. but also what's going on today? Um, sorry, I read a lot. Okay. So I wake up in the morning, I read variety, I read the business of fashion, and I mean, I'm not reading an entire article, but I'm like scrolling at least their Twitters, do a quick scroll of the website. Um, that keeps me abreast of the larger picture things. But we are in a really cool time right now where like black Twitter specifically is influencing so much culture. Mm-hmm. And so I can literally look on my own timeline and see what my friends are talking about mm-hmm. and figure out how I can make that translate to the wider audience at like Team Vogue. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Do you think that 
sometimes the internet can be a downfall. Social media can be a downfall for, you know, the younger one. I don't want to say younger as in your yeah. old because you're definitely not. But, you know, people like me who yeah. are f trying to follow in your footsteps. Girl, I'm trash. Don't follow me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that you remember like back in the day when like t the news cycle became 24 hours and like it was so much TV and all this mm -hmm. stuff and your parents were like you need to get out that TV okay it's the same exact thing with social media the difference is there was nothing tangible that television can give you in that moment Whereas mm. social media, again, you could become an influencer. You can find your next job. You can connect with a really great community that, like, maybe you were feeling lonely and now you have this great group of people. I do think that for your own mental health, it's important to take breaks sometimes. Like, I find, like, when I have, if I have a whole week where, like, every morning I do, first thing I do is check Instagram, I'm like, oh no, I need to delete this off my phone. And next week you're on Instagram punishment. You know what I mean? Like, because you really get caught up and, and, and then also you get caught up in somebody else's timeline in their life. So you probably have someone that's doing, you know, what you consider to be better than you. And so now you're beating yourself up from where you are in your life. But it's somebody looking at you like, damn, yo, she killing it. And so we, we lose that side of perspective mm -hmm. in social media. Um, someone who like I consider like my little sister, her name is Kenedra Woods, and she is on the front grounds in um, St. Louis, she actually organized one of the Ferguson protests at 12 years old. Oh, okay, I know exactly who you're talking about. I, at 12 years old, was crying because I didn't want to go to dance class. So, you know, and she's just so incredible. And sometimes I can tell when she's getting to the point where I need to text her and be like, you need to take a break. Because, especially in the work that she does, she gets threats. Mm. I'm sure she also gets people saying, I look up to you so much and, and, and it can be a lot on both sides of it, you know? And so it's so important to just take a minute for yourself. And I'm not saying delete everything and, you know, because I, I also hate that person who like deletes their Instagram every month and is like, I'm back. Now I'm not following you because you play too much and you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> you, you could just delete it from your phone. You don't have to delete the whole thing and make a scene. Yeah. You know, um, but I do think it's important for your own mental health to take a minute and get some perspective. Speaking about mental health, I was, while I was doing my research on mm -hmm. you, I was like, I'm going to find everything. Yes, like, I'm journalist. Yes. I noticed that you had an experience where you were not so happy mm -hmm. with your physical appearance. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me through, talk with me about that? Because I, I know deep down in my heart that there is somebody yeah. that feels the same way right Of course. Now. Um, yeah, so you're referencing this video we did called Best Friends Get Real. Yes. And so... Did you help produce that, by the way? Actually, me and my work best friend came up with that. Oh. Um, so we produced it and shot it ourselves. And I remember at the time the brand was called The Scene, mm -hmm. and it was known for, like, comedy. And I came up to I was like, yo, I have this really funny video idea. And she turned around and, like, she had, like, a glaze over her that she didn't typically have. And she's like, I want to do something serious. Like, I think we need to do something serious. I was like, what? No, like, because I, at the time, I'm a very open person, mm -hmm. but I'm very guarded with my own emotions. Mm -hmm. Like, people don't believe I'm actually very shy. Nobody no, believes that. I get it, because I am too. Exactly. And so. I say I'm a introverted ex extrovert. Extra yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, yeah, I'm very shy. I'm very guarded with my own personal feelings. Um, I could talk to you about anything in the world. But like, like when the you, emotions come in, you're like, like, oh, wait, no, I don't no, do I'm that. No, I'm good. I'm good. And so. We, she was like, she had suffered from um, anorexia for a large portion of her life. And we wrote down everything that we thought about ourselves and then directed them to each other. And this girl, I mean, from the minute we met, we were like thick as thieves here at the company. And so, you know, imagine you tell and say, I think you are so ugly. Mm. And it's like a double-edged sword because you're hearing this awful thing, an insult was an insult, whether or not we plan, you know, but then also you realize, and, oh, shoot, my friend feels this way by herself. And so through that experience, we learned that, like, the same way, if you came to me, it was like, Tiffany, I feel so ugly. I'm like, girl, shut up. And, you know, <laughs> you, we got to talk to ourselves like that. You know, we got to gas ourselves. And it allowed me to be vulnerable in a way that, like, still, I cannot watch the video again. Mm -hmm. But when I have girls talk to me about it or women talk to me about it, when I read some of the comments under the video, even now, it's like it, it felt worth it as scary as it is and was it felt so worth it to have somebody say wow like she looks so confident and she's so sexy when she still feels that way i wish she didn't you know because then it makes you think like well what the hell do i say about myself you know so again it was super scary i will never do a video like that again um but that one felt worth it 
how was it working in this kind of industry while, you know, thinking and feeling that way? Yeah. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm very good at suppressing my own emotions and feelings. And so if I just keep my head down and do the work, I don't have to think about it. And I'm that's something that I'm still unlearning. You know, I had a bad burnout in April that took me out of work for two weeks. And so the very thing that I like double down on when I'm like not wanting to deal with my emotions, it was the very thing that I had to stop doing and deal. You know? Dealing with your emotions. Yeah. Well, just read me, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're talking about, you know, producing your content, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Ask Auntie. Oh, gosh. Those crazy ladies. <laughs> <laughs> that was a major transition in care. Well, selling Ask Auntie yeah. was a major transition in your career. So how did you come up with this idea? You know what's so funny? I was interviewing for Connie Nass, and for a year I had to interview for this role. And they kept saying, oh, you have Wait, great... This role? What role? Well, at Connie Nass, at the time I was the, um, I was interviewing for the Facebook Live producer. Okay. Yeah. And so that role, you know, now we look at Facebook Live like, oh, you know, I'm going live with my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. But at the time for the company, it was a major investment. And so they, uh, they kept saying, you know, you have great TV experience and that's great and you're, we, we like your personality, but you don't have no digital experience. Mm. I said, damn, like, you know, and I kept going. And again, it's all about giving yourself a competitive edge. So it's like, all right, I got this great TV experience. Um, I got these crazy drunk aunts that I got to answer to every other day. And they asked me, when you going to get us a reality show? (laughs) And so this was like a a happy medium to ultimately get me a job. And so I just created it. We did a few episodes. They were super successful in a way that I wasn't even anticipating. And then I wound up selling it to Viacom in 2016. Um, and I came back and I interviewed again. I was like, so now what? Can I have <laughs> the job it. or no? Like, you know, um, but again, it's about cre- using the resources around you to create a competitive edge. Students that are still up in Syracuse that are like asking me like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to host this. I want to do that. How do I do it? It's like, you got all this free equipment, all this free shit and all this free talent around you. Why are you even talking to me without showing me something? Like, why are we just like, why are you not sending me a video saying, Tiffany, what do you mm. think about this? Not how do I do it? You got all this stuff. And unfortunately, you have Google. You have Google. And unfortunately for, again, your generation coming out of school. Kind of lazy. Lazy, but also like it's expected that you come out of school knowing everything you need to know mm-hmm. before you get to the companies that you want to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's messed up because you don't know what somebody's life was like on campus. You know, so you don't know. They might have had to work every day, all day in between classes. I don't have no time to sit and make a YouTube video yeah. or whatever. And so it's unfair, but it's what's expected. I know that feeling all too well. Yeah. So like, I remember when I first started interviewing for jobs, I was like, well, you don't have this experience. I was like, how am I supposed to degree. But how, how am I supposed to get it if you ain't going to give it to me? You know? like that, when That's Twitter's main comment. Like, y'all want all of this experience, but y'all won't hire me. Um, but I don't want to um, walk past, well, skip past mm-hmm. Ask Auntie. How do you sell a series? How were you able to do that? Because I have ideas. <laughs> um, you know... The way that happened was so organic and unique that I don't, like, even when I do interviews about it, I never, like, present it as, like, oh, I went with executives and blah, blah, blah. I Honestly, that was a blessing. So what happened was we were visiting my aunt in Paris, and why were we in Paris? Yeah, just visiting my aunt. the same aunt that doesn't know you that don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we were at dinner one night, and it was myself, my grand-aunt, my mother, and my other aunt. And so... We're sitting at a table, and my other aunt is, like, loud. She got a short haircut, so she's not easy to miss. and I'm sorry, not hard to miss. And she's loud. You know, we drinking, laughing, having a good time. And at the table right next to us was an executive producer from Centric. Yeah. Wow. And so I saw him, kept looking over. He was laughing, you know. Girl, how about maybe 10 minutes later, two of my friends from New York City walk over and sit with him. Wow. And so I'll never forget Jerome Shaw and Kayla Walker. And they sit down with him. And they're like, oh, hey, Tiff, what's up? Kayla Kayla, that's another mentor that I had to develop a relationship with. Full circle. Um, But, but, yeah, so they sit down. And Jerome had been familiar with my aunt just from the Harlem community and stuff. Mm. And he's like, oh, yeah, they got a show called Ask Auntie. Like, you know, it was really funny. You should check it out. So the guy Justin then joins in the conversation. Justin Joseph was our EP. And he's laughing, talking, and I'm sorry, before Jerome said they have a show, Justin says, y'all two need a show. Talk about my mom and my aunt. Mm. And so that's when Jerome says, oh, actually, they have a web series. I'll send it to you when we get back to the hotel. 
we get back from Paris and I have an email from Justin asking to meet. And so that's how that happened. And I don't want to, like, of course, it was a huge deal for me in my career, but I don't want to make it seem like I worked. It was something that I was pitched. Yeah, because what that does is discourages people who can't get it done the first yeah. time. You know, I have other shows that I shot two, three years ago that are still like, I'm still emailing and trying to connect, that I'm trying to wait to get sold. And so it's a long game process. And that's why it's important. Can you say that one more time for me? Because I, I need everybody to hear you. It's a I need to hear you actually. long game process. Okay. And it, that's why on a content level, it's important to create things that have legs that matter. Like all this microwave shit right now, it's like, ain't nobody going to be studying that in a while. Ask Auntie came out in 2016. We're literally about to relaunch right now because people won't leave me alone about it. Like, when's it coming back? You know, so it's important to create content that like has legs to it and has some depth and, and can go beyond this moment. The content that I created in 2016, all the pilots I shot and stuff like that, there's now people are biting like, oh my God, this is so great. Like, you know, why haven't I seen? I created it two years ago. If I, if I lived in the moment of two years ago when I was like ideating those things, people would be like, that's old news. I don't want to look at that. Now that I'm getting to the level where I have access to these executives and development producers and stuff like that. But in terms of like the process of selling a show, there's no path for that either. Mm-hmm. Because now you have power players like Netflix and all that kind of stuff mm. that kind of turn the industry on its head. It really is about networking and research. It's funny because as this conversation is going, there was this quote on Instagram and Twitter saying, the day you plant a seed mm-hmm. is not the day you see the flower grow. That's exactly it. And so that's exactly like, it. Right. Yeah. Speaking to me. And, but you know what? Now it's like because all I know is work. Some things I just kind of have to let go into the universe and see what happens. But I'll trick myself into thinking, no, I should still be working on this. But it's like there's nothing left to do on this one project. But l- get out the way and let God do what He got to do for this. And if it's not supposed to be, because I'm a creator and I'm like confident in my skill set, if that don't work, I got a million other ideas that can happen. Or I'm not too holier than thou that I can't help so into somebody else to make their idea greater. That's another issue that I think that, not even a generation in particular, I think that people across social media are so busy wanting to have the title of being the owner, the founder, or whatever, that you do these half-baked ideas instead of being able to just pour into something Mm. that already exists to make it better. The perfect example, when me and Alizé started Young Harlem, philanthropy amongst our generation wasn't like a huge thing. And once we started it, it was like people popping up everywhere, doing these half-ass, you know, and charity and philanthropy is important, so whatever is great. But the time and energy you spent in trying to pull this event together and only got this much money and blah, 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 why not tap into the people and places that are already doing it and make them stronger? Oh, because you just want to be able to say, I'm the founder of. Is it really that important? If if, if If I look at what you founded and it's some bullshit, is it really that important when you could have been the senior whatever, whatever, or you know, the, the chairman of X, mm-hmm. I, and Z, and made that organization stronger. Speaking of Young Harlem, what exactly is Young Harlem? What was Young Harlem? Because I think that what it can and will service in the future is so much different from where we started. So we started with a very simple mission to end gun violence in Harlem. We came home from, Allie had just finished her freshman year at Howard, I had just finished my freshman year at Syracuse, and we went to like a cookout, you know, every summer. Mm -hmm. And we had grown up our entire lives so desensitized to gun violence, because it was like, we just knew we had to leave by 11.45 because they start shooting at 12.15. That gives us enough time to get to the train. Like, but the fact that you have to think like that as an adolescent is crazy. That's crazy. To know how to plan your day out so you don't get shot. Mm -hmm. Or robbed. Or robbed, or you know what I'm saying? So. We, we had just come back from school, and I remember we were, I don't know if I was driving or Ali was driving down 125th Street, and literally we just see hundreds of kids running down 125th. And we're like in standstill traffic now at this point. Somebody had been running and shooting up and down 125th Street. That is the mecca of Harlem. 125th Street in front of the state building? We watched somebody die in front of the state building. Oh and it was like this moment where it was like, yo, we hadn't experienced this in a, a full year. And yeah. so it was shocking because it was like you're, you're being re-sensitized to, you were so to, you removed know? and coming back, it's yeah. just like I forgot that this is what I, home exactly. is like. And so that summer we just wanted to put on like one event to like highlight um, and celebrate 
businesses and people in the community who had like been trying to already obviously end gun violence, but giving kids something to do during the summer, because that was the real issue. It was like, you know, we know that poverty leads to gun violence, but also so does being idle, mm-hmm. you know? And so people that were giving kids summer jobs, people that were mentoring and cultivating kids in the streets and stuff like that. And then from there, we just got so much support that they were like, this needs to be a nonprofit, because that wasn't even our thought initially. We just oh. thought that we would have this event every summer. Um, Something for kids to do. Yeah, and then um, it developed into Young Harlem. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's listening, how can they get involved in Young Harlem or push the initiative? Yeah, I think that we are, again, regrouping and figuring out what that looks like, because fortunately and also unfortunately, Harlem has gone through a complete transformation and gentrification, and so gun violence isn't as much, it will always be an issue, but it's not the core issue right now mm-hmm. of that community. And so we need to sit back and figure out how, what is it our community needs right now? Um, but in the interim, Alizé is pushing and founding and leading and doing an incredible job with the We mayor. Give Two, you know, the mayor, <laughs> my ace, you know, um, she, she founded an organization called We Give Two, which kind of pulls together all of the activities or places to donate for young millennials who want to give back. Yeah, yeah. But Tiffany, I am 24, Mm -hmm. and I have moments where I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. I want to stop. I'm just going to go get a basic job, Mm -hmm. and you know, and I'll be fine. Like, I'll get a 9 to 5, I have a 401k, (laughs) and I'll marry a basketball player. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Goals, not kidding. My boyfriend's going to kill me. (laughs) I'm sure you experienced that feeling, Of course. How do you and how did you stay motivated? Because I honestly have all the time where I have those teary days of course. and I'm like, okay, Michaela, you gotta suck it up and figure yeah, it out. Yeah, um, One book I would recommend to everyone is called The Defining Decade. And you know, we hear like, oh, have fun in your 20s and in your 30s you'll you know figure it out. And it's like, no, the people that have it figured out in their 30s did the work in their 20s, right? And so also you'll realize as you grow in your 20s, that you're always at a fork in the road. Should I take this job or that job? Should I stay in New York City or leave? You know, should okay, I? So this is normal. This like, is normal. I'm and so that's what the book that does for you. This. The book doesn't give you answers because what I find is when people ask advice, you just want somebody to blame if it goes wrong. Oh, Tiffany told me I should have did, but I knew I should have. That's mm-hmm. what you really want. But the book tells you whichever lane you go down, here's the scientific evidence what happens down that lane and what happens down this lane. I spoke to 50 patients that took this route and this is what happened to them. That is all consistent. 50 patients went down this other route and here are the consistencies of what happened down that path. And so, again, it doesn't give you answers, but it's just like that moment you just had, like, oh, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. It gives you that for every sector of your life. And so I would definitely say read that book. Um, But it's also important, it's hard to stay encouraged. It's easier when you stay involved and continue to grow and learn in your industry. So you wanna be a a photographer, you need to be still taking photos even if you don't have no job. And you still need to be learning what's the newest technology that can make me better so that when you do get that job, now you're not feeling inadequate because it's like, damn, I've been out of work for two years. I don't know what they talking about, but you know, because then that's a whole nother set of anxieties that you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So as long as you stay encouraged and develop your skill set, even without the job, I think you'll be okay. What were some of your career fairs when you were 24, 25? Mm. You know, I remember my 23rd birthday, Allie threw me this incredible surprise party and it was one of the toughest years of my life because we were juggling Young Harlem and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We had also gotten a cease and desist letter and so we thought that this thing that we had worked so hard for was going away. Um, career-wise, I was not happy. I was, you know, really, really struggling. I was working maybe 80 hours a week, killing myself. I come home, still living with my mama. Some weekends I couldn't even afford a Metro card, you know. So all those things were happening. And it took me sitting back and again, giving myself some perspective to say, girl, you was selling shoes two years ago and you could still be there. And so the same hunger and and vigor you chase this current role that you're in now, you need to do to level up to the next one. So I think it really is all about perspective. Okay. So now, you're senior producer at Teen Vogue. Yes. What do you do? (laughs) Um, My day-to-day is different every day. Yeah. Um, So 
you know, I also host Team Book Take, so mm -hmm. I'm constantly pitching stories to the writing staff, so the editorial team, to make sure that the things that I'm talking about on my show are in line with the things that they're talking about on the dot com and is true to brand voice. I'm constantly writing scripts and reading and figuring out what people are talking about and their takes on it to mm -hmm. inform my take. Um, and then outside of that, I produce the other videos for Teen Vogue. And so right now I'm working on our explainer series. The first one we did was called The Racist and Misogynistic History of Prom. <laughs> and so, prom? right, I shooketh, okay? Shook, go watch that. Okay, okay. So yeah, so um, it's, it's exciting because like that, we get to deep dive into everyday pop culture moments and discuss the larger implications. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, right now I'm currently chasing those kind of stories. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that, I'm just currently chasing those yeah, stories. Yeah, that's it. What was the day, there was a moment I, I watched again, <laughs> and you were, you were seeking to be on television. Mm -hmm. When did you know like, okay, cool, let me try the back route. Like, let me try to produce television yeah. first. You know, after I switched programs in, in grad school, my uh, professor gave me the best piece of advice, which was put yourself in a position to put yourself on TV. And so I, that always was in the back of my head. So I, I discovered this new thing that is production and being a producer, so I'm all in that now. And like the goal of being on air was like really in the back of my mind. Like I was enjoying, and I still do enjoy producing, like the 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 groundwork of it. And I was able to keep my head down and do the work. And then I was able to put myself in a position to put myself on TV, or you know, computer or mobile, wherever you watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think that I'm. I don't think, I feel very grateful that I am on camera in a way that is true to self. Mm -hmm. I'm on camera talking about things that matter to me and mm -hmm. my community and, and putting on for girls that look like me. Making a change. I'm making it, I'm trying to, you know, like even down to the things I wear, I only wear black designers when I'm on camera. You know, moments like that for me are of the utmost performance, I'm sorry, of the utmost importance. And had I been just chasing, just being on camera, and not having no real depth to it, I might have been, you know, a news anchor in like Nebraska or something, you know. I heard Nebraska's pretty. All oh, cool. right, you're lying. <laughs> Sorry if you have any listeners in Nebraska. Sorry, Nebraska. <laughs> I tried to put on to y'all. Now, being able to put yourself, you know, on television and on these amazing websites, how, who you've had uh, during these times, you've had amazing guests. Mm -hmm. Who have been or who has? Been. Uh -huh. Some of your favorite people, well, best interviews are favorite interviews. It doesn't have to be the person, it could be like the conversation yeah. that was had. I have two. Um, one was common, just because, like, what the hell? My heart. Fine, okay? <laughs> Fine. So he looked even better in person. Right, but also, like, he was one of the greatest celebrity interviews because it just felt like I was talking to a friend immediately. And I don't know if it's because he's from, you know, he's from Chicago, but mm -hmm. it's like, socioeconomically it's very similar to Harlem and so I don't know if that was like the kindred energy or what have you um, but it was just a really great interview and talking to him about his hopes for the future of our country how inspired he is by our youth was really exciting to hear and then my second favorite interview was with uh, Naomi Wadler who was the 11 year old girl who spoke at the watch the March on Washington mm. um, and she's so smart so incredibly sweet um, and she gave me advice I have an 11 year old niece who like I was like you know I'm having a hard time talking to her I don't know what's going on in school and she gave me some really good an 11 year old you know and so it was one of those moments that it was just like you just never stop learning you know so I'm gonna have I'm gonna ask some questions a quick question mm -hmm. just to get a have my listeners get an even greater feel of you and fun note of you <laughs> to this day what is your most proud moment oh man um I think that my proudest moment to date was winning um, the 2018 Shining Star Award through Congresswoman Yvette Clark. Mm -hmm. And she represents the Brooklyn District, but... I saw that on your Instagram. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was nominated by a really good childhood friend of mine, one, two, 
you know, Miss Yvette Clark when I was stranded in St. Martin, which is like a whole nother story. I remember that Girl. actually. I remember um, Say had us like call. It was wild. Um, but Miss Clark worked so hard to try to like work all her political connections to get this like this group of black girls back that nobody ain't even care about, you know what I'm saying, but us. Um, so that was like a, a very um, full circle moment for me. And then on top of that, I won that award and gave a speech in front of my niece that like, you know, oh, I'm about to start crying right now. Um, yeah, she's one of my favorite people in the whole world and she's just so damn cool. And I think that for the most part, I'm just like her aunt and like I'm the one that's always like, you know, did you do your homework? And you know, I didn't, I never thought that, you know, and it wasn't until after that I gave the speech and then she came up to me and she hugged me so hard and was like, you did so good and you looked so good, girl. And I was like, are you my child or are you my child? Because that's what I needed to know, you know? Um, but I just saw her eyes lighten up, you know, like she was literally just like peeking over the chair, looking at me, smiling so damn hard. Um, so that was one of my proudest moments. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about my aunt. That's not yeah. Um, what is one thing that you learned about yourself that you didn't like, that you knew you had to change and how did you change it or fix it? Mm. Um, I'm changing it. Okay. I-N-G because working. Um, but it goes back to those moments of self-care and not suppressing my emotions and my feelings. Um, when we were rescued from St. Martin, say it was like on a, I got back on a Monday I came to the office on Wednesday my boss had to tell me Tiffany please go home what are you like what are you doing and it is because instead of dealing again I just throw myself into work and so what happens is it starts to manifest itself in other ways that you will not be able to control and so I'm trying to do better at if I'm feeling anxious if I'm having a bad day I need to take a step back because this is not going to serve anybody with me kind of trying to go full force feeling like this um, I go to therapy now, which is huge for me. Um, if nothing else, just because I'm like, I'm oh, so I don't got time. You said that literally. I, I wanted, I wanted to ask. I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know if she's gonna want to talk, but I'm not gonna ask. No, absolutely, absolutely. And the some of the greatest things that my therapist told me were, first of all, you cannot. You're you're pouring from this well, servicing this village, right? And it hasn't rained. So when you get to the bottom of the well and you haven't stopped and let Mother Nature do her thing. What you gonna give out? Much less what you gonna have for yourself, right? And so sometimes you gotta just sit back and wait for the rain. I was told that I need to stop. So it's like a mug. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to be full to yep. pour. Mm -hmm. But they said no longer give what's in your cup, only give what's running over. What's running over, right? And so hearing this is just like that's exactly it. Reassure exactly me. it. And then the second thing, which was kind of a read, I'm still kind of mad at her <laughs> for that. Um, but she was just basically like, you sometimes chase goals to continue this narrative that you're successful. So people keep thinking, so you want to do stuff that you don't even really want to do, but you know, people think you're successful and this is what successful people do. And so you do. So like, for instance, I can't ever just do something for fun. So I like to run for fun. And so I'm like, oh, I should run the New York City Marathon. And my therapist was like, for what? You like to run for you, but why you gotta make a why you gotta make a job out of everything? That's a big deal. And she was like, the history of the marathon actually is that the the founder or or whoever was inspired by, and I don't know this to be true. I need to do my research. <laughs> but she was like, he had to deliver a message and ran twenty six point six miles or whatever it is, and died. So she was like, that's why it's such a big deal. That's why that number is so specific because he died at the end of it. So can you? What you trying to run and die for? You I thought you were trying to run to clear your mind. You know, and literally she dragged me to hell and back. She was like, she had like one of those, um, you know, the foil blankets that they get at the end. Mm -hmm. She was like, hey, put that on. Take a picture. Put it on your Instagram. That's what you want, right? She's like, you want you want this moment so people can tell you congratulations? And I was like, I wouldn't know. I, I you trying to fight? Go. I you trying to go. fight? Because obviously I'm not trying and to so, help no more. You know, and so for me, I think back to that foil blanket every time because I'm like, am I doing this because I... Want to feel proud of myself at the end of it? Or am I doing it so that other people can feel? And that, for me, is the space that I'm trying to work on. Hmm. What is the best and the hardest position you've held so far? The best position is the one I'm in now. The hardest would have to be love and hip-hop. Yeah, I've I've worked love and hip hop before, so I can honestly. So you get it. No, I can. When you said that, I'm like. Yeah. Okay, I get it. The work wasn't hard. It was just dealing. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Makes so much sense. Oh, also, before I wrap this up, I want to know, you've worked with Sway. Mm-hmm. You've worked with Wendy. But other than the names, you've worked with high-level executives that have so much knowledge mm-hmm. and wisdom. What has been some of the greatest or most life-changing or most inspiring words or quotes or anything, yeah. advice that has been given to you? I wouldn't say it's been words. It's been watching their work ethic. Like, if my boss is emailing me at 6 a.m. asking for something or responding to something, or maybe I'm just CC'd on an email, what that tells me is this person has started their day. They're getting to the month. You know what I'm saying? And so what am I doing? I'm waking up at 8.30, got to be work at 10. Like, what you doing? You know? And so I think it's just been watching these executives who really could coast the rest of their career and they still continue to work hard, you know? I think that's, it hasn't been worried, it's been like watching people's actions. You once said, you once made a statement saying, um, don't take anything personal, not even a compliment. Mm-hmm. How did this come about? Um, so I was moving, I got a job offer to move to Atlanta. It was like, we're looking for an associate producer, they'll pay for you to move, all this stuff. I just wanna pause right yeah. there. So you moved for a job? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and so my old boss, where I was paying teeth, you know, she called me, she said, I'm working on this show. I need a new AP. Would you be interested? They're paying moving fees. They pay for your flight. They'll put you up everything. So I was like, why not? Like, I wanted to try a different city anyway. I'm born and raised in New York. So I'm like, why not? And I was on the plane reading the four agreements. I was on the plane reading the four agreements. And, um, the one of the agreements was don't take anything personal and somewhere in that it was talking about like when people disrespect you or you know whatever whatever and i kind of took that back myself and said well you get gassed by a compliment the same way you get hurt by somebody trying to play you and so they must be one and the same and what i started to realize is you know you get your head done or whatever if your man don't notice it's not necessarily because he's a guy and he doesn't notice he might be going thinking about so much other stuff and so the day that he doesn't the same way you don't take it personal is the same way it's nice that he says, oh, babe, your hair looks nice. But don't take that to heart either. And I apply that in the workspace too. Like, you compliment my work now, but if I fuck up tomorrow or today, you're still going to be in my ass. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to take th- I'm going to just keep, thank you, and keep it moving. And so I think that's what also has kept me grounded in my career. Tiffany. Tiffany. Yes. This interview. Was this helpful? I know it's <laughs> funny. Like, I forgot that I'm actually recording us because I just, I was feeding. Yeah. I was being fed from this conversation. I was like, oh, wait, I forgot we right, recorded. Right. It was so useful, and I really hope it was useful for anybody and everybody that's listening because there was so much that you said that I, myself, yeah. you know, like I said, I'm in that stage where I'm 24, and it's just like, got to make sure this yeah, is right. Yeah, got to make yeah. sure I'm going down the right yeah. path that I want to eventually reach. Right. So with that being said, is there anything that you would like to tell the listeners? Anything? It could be like, all right, y'all, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I'm out. But also, um, I get a lot of emails just asking, like, first of all, don't email nobody saying, can you pick your brain? Don't do it. That's, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But um, <laughs> part two, you know, um, I have decided to do a weekly series on Sundays where in the morning you can DM me all day long asking mm-hmm. questions and then I'll answer them Sunday nights. And so that'll be rolling out very soon. Okay, well, I will be asking Yeah, questions. ask away. <laughs> I'm ask so away. excited. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you so much. I, I know in my heart that it is going to be a blessing to yeah. somebody. I hope so. I hope so. so. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Do you want them to know your Instagram name? Oh, sure. I'm so much fun on Instagram. <laughs> Follow me. Um, Miss Tiffany Bender, MS Tiffany Bender. Yay. All right, guys. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoy. I hope you love it. And please follow her. She's literally dope. (laughs) It's been a blast. Bye. Bye. This is the Intern Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.